so um, what I want to do is just bring a, a message. I'm actually going to split this into to two parts. So this morning will uh, we'll be part one, and then not next Sunday, but the Sunday after I'll do the I'll do the second part next Sunday being the anniversary Sunday, and then uh, the week after, the Sunday after that, I, uh, I'll do the second part to this. <clears throat> so I was thinking, uh, this has been on my mind and heart for a while to uh, want to kind of teach on this, and uh, I, it's something that I have had to really um, learn, and mostly the hard way, and sometimes those lessons are, are the, the best, although they are difficult. But what I want to talk about this morning is um, the significance of our words. So last time I taught, I taught on the significance of our work. And this morning I want to talk about the significance of our words. Um, I think this is often hugely uh, underemphasized. And we can't really emphasize it enough because Scripture certainly has a lot to say about it. Uh, Really, experience will teach all of us pretty quickly in life that this actually has a lot of significance uh, in our lives, our words. And for many, including myself, the understanding of this truth... uh, comes as soon as we're able to understand language. And so a lot of times we have been impacted from a very young age by someone's words. And often that might be our, our family members, our, our parents, or other close people in our lives. But as soon as we're able to start understanding language, we can then experience the effects that words can have on us. So for some of us, it's, you don't really come to the realization of it, both in how it has impacted us, uh, but also how we have impacted others until much later in life, which is unfortunate. But um, nonetheless, it's, it's very needed, better late than never on this one, honestly. Uh, and if, if you um, younger people, especially if you're just getting into... Uh, parenthood uh, and having a child, raising a child, um, I would say really um, pay attention to to what Scripture has to say about our words because they will impact uh, your children as they have impacted our own lives by our own parents uh, in significant ways, for the good or the bad. So one thing that's um, when we and, and as we get into this topic, let me let me just throw a challenge out there for us. Um, I, I want to encourage all of us to um, not focus on how someone's words have impacted us. Usually, it's going to be negatively impacted us, and 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 not even that. That's the easy thing to go to is how someone's words have negatively impacted us. But I also want to think of, want you to not. Uh, dwell on how your own words have negatively impacted someone else. No doubt we have all experienced that, both being the recipients and being the ones who have caused uh, some damage, if you will, to other people by our words. But I actually don't want us to focus on that. Now, it's not doesn't mean we don't think about 
that because it actually is helpful to understand firsthand what it is like to be the recipient of words that can negatively impact us. Um, and also the, the conviction you may have felt at, at times and the remorse of the words that you have spoken that have negatively impacted someone. It's good to, to remember and acknowledge and identify those times. But I don't want you to dwell there. I don't want you to stay there because what I want us to focus on is how can we change that so that our words begin to be a positive influence and making a positive impact on those around us and, and on ourselves as well. So as we go through this, I, I, that's my challenge for you, for all of us, is let's focus on the positive. I'm going to talk some about the negative. We're, going to, we're even going to look at scripture sometimes of the negative, of how that impacts negatively um, people. But I want us to mainly focus on how can we take what we see in Scripture and what we understand that the power that words have and, and apply it into our lives in a positive way. How can we change the way we've been looking at this or we've been operating in this and change it for the better? So as we look at various uses uh, of our words, <clears throat> we'll focus on the positive uses primarily. Uh, and I'm, and I'm going to mention also the opposite of the positive uses so that we can see uh, the negative and some examples of that in Scripture. So first I want to just kind of lay a little bit of a foundation of does God care about our words? And, you know, the obvious answer is yes. But have we really looked into this and, and kind of paid attention to some of the Scriptures that talk about this? Because there's really... There's a lot in Scripture. God has a lot to say about our words. And, and actually, if you, uh, if you took a, a Bible concordance and you just looked up uh, a few of these words, such as um, mouth, tongue, lips, speech, words, you'll actually be amazed at uh, how many times. So just to give you an example, just a rough look, mouth in the Bible is mentioned 397 times. Tongue 126 times. Lips, 118. Speech, 48. Words, over 500 times it is mentioned in Scripture. <clears throat> so clearly, for us to not dig into this topic and pay attention to what Scripture has to say, we're, just, we're, we're really neglecting a lot of what God wants us to know about our words and our tongue and our speech and our mouths. So from that alone, we can, uh, we can know that God cares about our words. Now, speech has great significance with God. <clears throat> and it actually, to the extent that he identified himself as the God who is different from all of these dumb pagan idols because he is the God who speaks. And it's interesting how... That seems to be pointed out again and again in comparison to these pagan idols who are speechless. Just to look at a, a, a few of these. <clears throat> Psalm 115, 4-7 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. 
eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Psalm 135, 15 through 17 says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. This one is so similar to the other one. They have, I almost thought it was on the same one. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Isaiah chapter 46, starting verse 5 says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal? And compare me, that we may be alike. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the, in the scales hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble." God can be uh, a little sarcastic at times, but this is one of those times where it's like, come on, this is, do you realize these people, they're making their own idols, calling them gods, and they can't even, the idols can't even hear them, they can't even speak to them. In Habakkuk chapter 2, starting with verse 18, it says, what profit is an idol when, it, when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker... Trust in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The point being here is that all of these other idols who are speechless, who have been made by man's hands and cannot even speak, is, is silliness. And then ends with, but God is in his temple, therefore, shh, let's listen. It's just a great reminder for us of how God, even in identifying himself and distinguishing himself from other pagan gods, he often emphasizes the fact that he speaks. <clears throat> and God also listens to our words and how we use them. It's, a, it's a, of great importance to him. So uh, I want to look now just to some of the passage that, passages that uh, make it clear that God is, is actually very interested in our words. And there are principles at work regarding what we say. One of my favorite ones that you've, uh, I'm sure, all have heard that I really wish we all would really let this sink in to us is Proverbs 18.21 that says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. That is a, a, a powerful thing that uh, many might look at this and think, oh, come on, that's a little extreme. But you know, in actuality, if you, if you start studying this topic, and in and, and, and my doing so, I had to weed through a lot of 
um, a lot of authors, a lot of speakers, a lot of people who totally get this and understand this who aren't even Christian. They're not believers at all. And they might believe in all kinds of things. Many of them, they were off into all kinds of things. But this truth seems to be consistent across most of these people. They, even if, who, those who are not believers, who are not followers of Christ, understand the reality of the power of words. But this was God's doing and making him making this aware to, to people. And so even if they're not followers of God, this is his principle and something that he's made a reality. So those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, whether your words are speaking and basically the power of your words are death or life, if you are using your words, you're going to reap the fruit of it. So we should always be thinking about the words that we say. In Jeremiah, God's talking to Jeremiah. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. You shall turn, they shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. God making a difference between Jeremiah speaking words that are precious, being God's word, being words of of value, words of life, compared to worthless words. In Malachi, it says this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. The bride is another way of referring to that. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So that's a good example of God listens to our words. He pays attention to what we say. And in many cases, he makes a record. And actually, we know that there's a record uh, that's being kept of every word that we say. Um, Jesus refers to that. We'll get to that in just a minute. Actually, it's the next verse we're going to look at here. It's in Matthew in chapter 12. Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Later in Matthew in chapter 15, verses 10 through 11, it says, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And then uh, if you take a look at James, is another good example in the book of James chapter 3, starting with verse 5. It says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. 
and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Well, that's some uh, amazing passages to help us to understand the significance of our words. Not only do they have the power of death and life, um, but they're they're often uh, but they're being recorded, as Jesus said, and that every word that we speak, we will be uh, held accountable. Now that's a sobering thing. And uh, when I began to look into this more and pay attention to this in Scripture, I really was uh, quickly um, sobered up and humbled by the reality of this. Because honestly, I I didn't understand this, and I neglected this to a fault. I was not careful uh, about my words, and often, and, and just, you know, a lot of, for a lot of people, this is going to be, um, you're, you'll have a tendency to be more, to speak more words of death, if you will. You know, when you have, when you're, when you're bent is very black and white, and you're very, um, you can be very critical of people, you can have a tendency to speak out from that place, and it's, it's words that don't build up, it's words that tear down, and it's words that make an impact on people, not just on people, but it can make an impact on yourself as well, and those words are being recorded, and we have to give an account of those words, but they also will make a difference as to whether or not they're going to bring life or bring death. Some people don't have as much of a problem with the words, they're just very happy, the, the glass is always half full, and they, they see life that way, and so they, it, it comes out more easily. The, the words of life come out more easily. I envy you. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that those who have a tendency to speak a, a little more of um, negatively can't change. And I can tell you that it will take intentionality, but it is very doable. And, and we must make this a priority. This really has to be a priority, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring this message is just to help us all to realize the seriousness of it, but not only the seriousness of it for ourselves, but the seriousness of it for other people, the ones who we are impacting, the ones who are hearing our words, because God wants us to be people who are speaking life to all around us. Now, before we um, get into some of the specific uses, I wanted to just, there's one, there's one aspect of this that to me is like, it's the foundation uh, of all of our words, and it's the foundation really for life, and that is truth. And you can't, you can't really look and study and talk about words and speech without considering truth and whether or not your, the words that are being spoken are truth. So this is the foundation on which really all words must rest if they are to be life-giving words. So without this pursuit, if you will, of truth, Really, words have no bounds. 
And we're seeing this today more than ever, but this has always been the case. But where there is no pursuit of truth, words have no bounds, and anything can be said by anyone. And a person who abandons truth abandons life. I mean, that seems to sound a little extreme, but really that, that is the reality. When, they, when someone abandons truth, they abandon life because truth brings life. And such a path of abandoning truth always will lead ultimately to destruction and death. So falsehood and deception are completely contrary to God's character. He is a God of truth. And so anything of falsehood, anything of deception, anything of lies are completely contrary to who he is. God cannot speak falsehoods. He cannot tell lies. He cannot do it. And that is not who he is. And so these are completely contrary. And Scripture tells us that he hates a lying tongue. And he will not allow liars to dwell with him in eternity. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. <clears throat> Here's another one, Psalm 15, verses 1 through 5. I love it in the um, NLT, the New Living Translation. It says this, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. Such people will stand firm forever. You see how many times words are referred to. It's what we say, speaking a falsehood, speaking lies. It's those who refuse to do those things, who turn from those ways. God says those are the ones who he will dwell with, who can come into his presence. So, you know, lying Oftentimes we um, we kind of downplay it, you know. We we say things like, "Oh, it's just a little white lie," or "Oh, it's just a partial uh, truth," or whatever. However, we might describe it. We we talk about lies sometimes in in just making it seem not that big of a deal, and actually, it's a huge deal. And if you read throughout Scripture, and if anyone is interested in diving into this specifically about lying, 
Um, I have a, a long reference list of just the, the times that I've read through Scripture. Anytime I come across something that talks about how much God hates lies and lying and how liars will not inherit the kingdom, I, I will put them down. And, and so I've got a list if you want to dig into it. But it's very clear if you pay attention to it that liars have no place in the kingdom of God. And we have downplayed lying to, to a fault. And it's a mistake to do so because even if you go to the end of the, in the end of time and look at Revelations and Jesus is describing those who are going to be welcomed into his kingdom and those who will be shut out. Liars are mentioned among the, uh, the, the other sins and things of those people who will not be allowed into the kingdom of God. So lying is not something that we can just overlook and, and downplay. It's actually hugely important. So our speech and our words and the things that we say must be that of truth. And not only that, but we must be people who love truth, who, who despise lies and deception and falsehood. And, and listen, now more than ever, I mean, really, it's never changed, but now more than ever, we're seeing the impact and the effects and the the. Um, prevalence of, of lies and falsehood. We're seeing that people in the world today would, would rather believe lies. That they would rather receive only the things that line up with their, their lifestyle or with their agenda. And it's, it's very discouraging but that's where we are today. They choose to believe only what affirms their desires, what affirms their agenda. And anything contrary to that, it doesn't matter how true it is, is rejected. And that's the world that we live in. And, and we must be completely different from that. We must be the people who are passionate about truth and will say truth regardless of how it might hurt not only those who hear it or offend those who hear it, but even if it might hurt ourselves, if it might endanger ourselves. We must be passionate about this. We must take this very seriously. Truth has to be our highest priority when it comes to our words. And if you have, because uh, listen, lying can become a habit. It, it, if, you've, if you do it long enough, it just becomes a habit to where a habitual liar doesn't even realize they're not telling the truth because their life has been so full of falsehood that they don't even recognize that they're speaking lies anymore. And that's a terrible, dangerous place to be. But it's, it can happen. And so all of us, if we're going to be followers of Christ, have to begin to retrain our minds and renew our minds in this area of our words and whether or not they are truthful. Now, I had to come to this place years ago where I had to start really paying attention to my words. Not that I was a liar, but sometimes I might talk in... Uh, extremes or exaggerations, um, 
in, in, my, in my passion, not, not in a wanting to, to deceive, but just in my passion. And I, I have decided to be more careful. It's important that I'm more careful about my words. C.S. Lewis has a great quote. I'll bring it maybe next time I'm, I teach part two, but talking about don't use this extreme word when this one actually will do, because then when you use that extreme word, it has no meaning because you've already used it so many times. But basically, it's, it's just making sure that your words are not only truthful, but even accurate to what you're communicating. But truth, if truth is a passion of ours and that we, we make it a high, high priority in our lives, then we will begin to really examine our words and how we speak and the things that we say. And if we have a habit where, you know, we realize, okay, I'm saying untruths, I'm saying lies, this is not act. The things that I said because I didn't want to be confrontational or if I didn't want to be embarrassed or whatever, I said this and it's actually not true. We have to actually stop and, and make that right. And sometimes that's, that is hard to do, but it's actually doing that will help us to learn and relearn not to be doing that anymore because once you stuck your foot in your mouth enough times and you're having to go back and apologize because I said this and actually that was a lie. It is very embarrassing and humbling. It is. And and if you if you are are if you're devoted to truth and then you realize you've spoken a lie, an untruth, and you know God wants you to make that right, which he does, and you go back and you have to humble yourself and you tell the person, I said this, that was a lie. I am very sorry, and I am. Uh, hope you will forgive me. I am trying to change this habit. You, you do that enough times, and you quickly learn it's not worth it. It is not worth it to speak the untruth to begin with. It's much easier to just say the truth and then deal with those consequences than to have to later come back and say to the person that I've, I've lied to you. So truth must be our highest priority. So there's so much, there's so much more. Scripture has so much to say about truth, but specifically about lying. And if you find that that's a struggle of yours, or if you even struggle to think it's really that big of a deal, I would encourage you and just get with me later. I'll send you, uh, send you the references I have. I would encourage you to do a, do a study on your own on, on what God thinks about that and says about it. Well, let's move on. Now that we've kind of laid the foundation, really there's so much more that can be laid regarding truth, but all words must rest on that. But I want to move on to the one uh, that I want to talk about next, which is thanksgiving. And I'm not talking about the holiday. I'm talking about the action of giving thanks. And there's a reason that I've chosen this to be um, kind of the first area of focus, and it's because it's so powerful. It really is. And God loves a thankful heart. And this should be really understandable to all of us. I mean, most of us have experienced a person to whom you've done something good and, and they're just not very thankful uh, and, and they don't express any thankfulness. And, and you, most of us have experienced what that's like. 
But when it comes to thankfulness towards God, he has done so much, so much for us. I mean, when we think about how blessed we are and how good God has been to us, we should quickly be able to fill our mouths with words of thanksgiving towards him. I mean, we have so much to be thankful for. If you live in this country, no exceptions, you have so much to be thankful for. And, and can I just be real honest here? So I understand that, you know, expressing our thanksgiving to the Lord can often, uh, it can easily slip our minds. It can, you know, not come to our minds. And this busy lifestyle is very easy not to pause, not to, to think about this uh, as much as we need to. And it can be neglected. But let me be so bold as to suggest that maybe if, if you... If you rarely have those thoughts and times of, I need to pause and thank the Lord. I need to thank him for that. If you rarely have those, or if you maybe think to do that, but you have a hard time thinking of what to thank the Lord for, if I could be so bold as to say, it's, it's, perhaps it's because you have centered your life around you a little too much. And here's what I mean by that. If we, if we separate ourselves from the hurting and the needy in this world, and we can easily take for granted the many, many blessings that God has bestowed upon us. Many, so many. So we need to be intentional about looking outward because there is so, there's so much hurt and pain in this world and in America. You don't have to go out of this country to see it. But there's just people all around us who are hurting, who have not uh, had the blessings that all of us may have had or, or some of us may have had. And, and it's very easy to, to see the hurt and the pain and the hardships that people are going through if you will look outward and if you will be intentional about getting outside of this comfort bubble that we often put ourselves in. And it's easy to do. But if we will be intentional about doing that, we will not have a problem with being thankful towards the Lord for what he's done for us. But when we do center our lives around us, keep ourselves in that comfort bubble, so to speak. And it's easy to do in our, in our culture. It's easy to do right here in Greenville, South Carolina. It, it's, it's, you can take for granted the things that we have in life and what God has blessed us with. So I would just encourage all of us, I'm talking to myself as well, to be intentional about getting outside of our, our little comfortable life to see the hurting and the people who are suffering and in pain and hardships so that we can have a proper perspective on how much God has blessed us. So you, don't have to, you don't have to go overseas. Although you go overseas and, man, that's going to make an impact. When I went to India back in 2012, I came back just hugely impacted 
after seeing the way so many people have to live. But that's, you can go to any country and you can do it here in our country. You just have to get outside of your, your life and see what people are going through and how people are hurting. And it, it's very healthy for us to do that so that we can not only try to help, sometimes we can, sometimes we can't, but at least we will then impact our own perspective of how good God has been to us. And you will have no problem remembering to thank him and thinking of the things, the many, many things that he has blessed us with. So here's a glimpse of some scriptures that talk about thanksgiving. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a great thing. If, if nothing else, you can thank the Lord for what he has done in giving us victory against sin. And then in this next verse in 2 Corinthians, he says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, so we do not lose heart, though our outer selves is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. The, that alone, the fact that God has given us his, his grace, he has been gracious towards us and given us a way to be forgiven through Jesus Christ and his shed blood and to be cleansed from our sins, that alone is hugely, you could be thanking, you couldn't thank God enough for that. So if, you, if you're not able to think of anything else, you can think of that and be thanking him for that. In Philippians uh, 4.6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You may not be in good circumstances. It doesn't say you have to give thanks for the circumstance, but in the circumstance, no matter how hard it is, we can still give thanks to God. In uh, Psalm 100 and verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Well, those are just a few, just a sampling of what's in scripture concerning thanksgiving and giving thanks to the Lord. And uh, there's really some powerful, I don't think I'm going to be able to get to them this morning, but some powerful stories to read um, about this. And, and what I'm going to go into next is is a little is the next one, but um, just jot this down because we may not. But if you read Numbers chapter eleven, uh, it talks about because the opposite you understand of Thanksgiving would be complaining, grumbling, murmuring, and there are there are some very vivid, powerful examples in Scripture about where the consequences that can come with that, and what God thinks about that. 
Numbers chapter 11 is a great one to read to be a reminder to us of what God thinks about complaining and grumbling, uh, which is the opposite of thanksgiving. So it's good to know that and identify that in our own lives. I definitely had to identify that. You know, it was very easy for me to complain because I'm, I, I, I saw details, I paid attention to things, and I would, you know, I was, you know, I, I, not that I'm not like this anymore, but I'm not as bad as I used to be. But complaining was something I really had to pay attention to and try to break that habit. And I still have to deal with that all the time. Um, but it's worth, it's worth it um, to, to change that about how you talk. So quickly, I'm just going to move on to the next um, usage of our words, which um, goes hand in hand with thanksgiving, and that is of praise. You often hear thanksgiving and praise, or praise and thanksgiving mentioned together in scripture very often. And uh, there's I mean, one example is just the verse that we just read, which was um, in Psalm 100, where it talks about, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So thanksgiving is giving thanks to God for what he has done. Praise is to make known his mighty works and to acknowledge aloud his excellent greatness. We look at Psalm 150 in verse 2. It says, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. This is a, somewhat of a blueprint for us to know how do we praise? Why do we praise? We praise him for his mighty deeds or his mighty works, the things that he has done. And we praise him according to his excellent greatness. Another great example of what praise is, and this one, this example, it's praise is sandwiched in between thanksgiving, and that is Psalm chapter 136, the whole chapter. If you look at that, I'm not going to read it here, um, but if you look at it on your own time, it opens up with several verses of thanksgiving to God, thanking Him for His goodness and His steadfast love. And then it shifts into praises, into praising God for his mighty works. And for the next 22 verses, it's praise. It's talking about what he has done in the past, how he delivered his people of Israel, how he delivered his faithful, how he was faithful to them, the mighty works that he did. It goes through 22 verses. It talks about the things he has done and why he is praiseworthy. All praise. And then at the end of that chapter, it closes with one more statement of thanksgiving to God. So praise can um, go hand in hand and should go hand in hand with thanksgiving. We thank Him for the incredible things that He has done, and we make known to anyone who wants to hear it, and there's no one around us, then the heavenly host and demons as well are going to hear praise. And that is a powerful thing. Never underestimate the spiritual realm and when they are hearing what's coming out of your mouth. That's another reason why it's so important that we speak words of life and words of faith. Some of that we'll get into next week. But regardless if no one, no human is hearing it, 
I assure you there are spiritual beings who are watching and are hearing it. And it's worth speaking aloud. Praise should always be aloud. And praise can also be as a sacrifice offered to God. So we, we don't practice the sacrifices that um, of the days of old when they would sacrifice animals and bring it to the priests and all of the, uh, and that sacrificial system, all of that. But there are actually ways uh, to to offer a sacrifice. It was sometimes, you know, I think, man, I wish there was a way that, you know, I think of like Solomon, some of those who, man, they, they slaughtered all these bulls and these, um, all these animals and to, to, to basically give a thanks offering to God and to honor him. Um, we don't really have a way, but actually we do have a way and it's, it's praise. And Hebrews thirteen fifteen says this, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So we can actually give a sacrifice to God of thanks. We can offer a thanksgiving sacrifice of praise. So when we open our mouths aloud and we begin to speak of the wonderful, incredible things that he has done in my life, in other people's lives, to, uh, hu- to mankind, to humanity, and we speak these things aloud, we are praising him. We are offering sacrifices that please him. And it also, everyone, the spiritual realm, they're watching. I don't want to get into this, but Job is fascinating to read because you, you get a glimpse of God and what it means for him to have a faithful servant in a human, in a, in a man or a woman. He is bragging of Job to the heavenly host, to, to Satan. He is making known his servant and his faithfulness. Faithful, faithfulness. Now, I would never want to be Job because where it goes next, I would never want to have to deal with that. But my point is that it does something to a father when one of his child, one of his children are voluntarily praising and speaking praises about him for all of the heavenly host, both on God's side and those against him are hearing this. So I, I can't emphasize that enough. I don't care if you're in your car or if you're out in public, praise is powerful. And then the opposite, as I mentioned already, is the opposite of thanksgiving and praise would be to, to complain or grumble and murmur. I won't read all these. I'm going to read just one from, um, from Numbers 11. But Philippians 2.14, it says this, Do everything without complaining and arguing. Your translation may say grumbling. That's, that's, a, that's a tough one. That's a challenge. But I think we can, we can be people like that, that we do everything without complaining. I have a long ways to go. Some of you are there with me. Some of you are way far ahead of me. But this is something worth reaching for. Here's just a quick glimpse 
of the sobering reminder of how God feels about our complaining. And it's in the opening verse of Numbers chapter 11. And to set the scene a little bit, this is after the people of Egypt had, uh, excuse me, the people had been delivered out of Egypt. God had done all these incredible works and these incredible miracles and things to, to bring them out of Egypt, destroy the enemy in the Red Sea, all of that. And not too far along, here's what happens. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship. And the Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them. And he sent a fire to rage among them. And he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Now that's just the beginning. You, you read on, and I do encourage y'all to, to read chapter 11. You read on and you see how God provided the, the food they needed for every, each day to some two and a half million people. He provided bread for them. They called it manna every morning, except, except for the Sabbath, but, and then they collected double, but he provided that for them. It had everything that they needed to be nourished. But after a while, and sometimes we want to say, oh, those stiff-necked Hebrews, what were they thinking? But, you know, I think of myself, and after a while of eating that manna every day, I can easily see myself doing the same thing. But they, they began to complain. Not only did they begin to complain about the food, they began to complain and think back on what they had in Egypt when they were enslaved in captivity. It says the, 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 all the various fish and the, and the garlic and leeks and all the things that I don't, wouldn't necessarily get excited about, but all the things that were delicious to them, all the flavors, all the wonderful foods. They began to wish they had those again, even to the extent of going back to Egypt. And so they were complaining. And just, you just have to read what happens because I don't want to dwell on the, the negative, but this, is, this, this, is, this helps us to understand the way this feels to our loving Heavenly Father who, have, who has done so much for us and continues to do so much. And then we begin to complain all the blessings, all the things He has given us. And, and then we start to complain. You know, it's, it's just a good reminder for us to, to do just what Philippians 2.14 is saying for us to do. Do everything without complaining and arguing. We have so much, so much for which to be thankful, so much for which to praise God. So let us, let us, I'm talking to myself, let's, let's strive together to become people who constantly give thanks and praise to God for who he is and the things he has done. Now, today's Part these were this was focused on our words, the significance of our words, mainly towards God. And 
two weeks from now, and I do the second part, we're going we're gonna to cover one other thing that is both towards God and towards one another, and then the rest that I'm going to look at are our words towards one another. And it's going to be, um, it's going to be great. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be great. Uh, and it's something I think that we will all uh, benefit from and profit from, and it will be pleasing to the Lord if we can really take hold of it. All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for this reminder of the significance of our words. Thank you for um, helping us to see what this means to you and how important this is is to you and that you're a God who speaks and words have significance. And you want us to be a people who, yes, have power in our tongues, but we use it to speak life. And God, as we allow these things to set in, I do ask that you would let them take root in us and bring forth fruit of how important it is to not only have truth as our foundation for everything we say, but also to be people who give thanks to you for all you have done for us and to praise you for your goodness your steadfast love, and for your excellent greatness. God, we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. of my heart.